Hello, folks. Welcome again to another edition of the Tom's Hardware Show, the last edition of the year. Today, we're talking about the sort of best consumer tech of 2021 and then sort of seeing off the uh, the year uh, as we go into a new one. Before that, let's run the thing. So hello, folks. Thanks again for joining us for another edition of the Tom's Hardware Show. As always, I am your host, Michelle Earhart, and joining me today are, is our editor-in-chief, Avram Pilch, and our managing editor, Matt Safford. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I'm so excited to be on the show with, show with you. Uh, it's just amazing the work that you do every week here, so it's an honor for me to be a guest. Oh, thank you. It's great to have you too. Um, if you watch the uh, the channel on Tuesdays, Avram is on the PiCast there where he talks about everything Raspberry Pi. But today he's joining us to talk about sort of the rest of consumer tech. Uh, so like I said, we're uh, this is the last show of the year and we're sort of talking about the best tech of 2021. We've written an article about it. We can bring up uh, honorable mentions. We can take questions. Uh, but before we get into that, just like off the cuff, what's your favorite, you know, piece of tech that you played with in 2021? It doesn't even have to be something that came out this year. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard. I, I don't know. It's so like our jobs are like constantly, you know, churning through stuff, right? So, especially things that we reviewed it's it's hard to uh you know to think about i mean i i don't know it, you i mean you you offered up the opportunity of like something we haven't reviewed i mean something that's been great for me in this last year is i i uh, uh about a year ago a little over a year ago probably i bought a uh, 4k view sonic projector and you know for a long time of not going to the movies uh having basically my entire bedroom wall as a movie screen was uh was pretty great and it's it's also kind of hilarious to watch youtube and shows <laughs> like like this show like on like a hundred inch screen so right so i actually think i'll join you there this year i got the uh, lg c1 oled tv just like the big sort of primo gaming panel they have and that's because this year i also got a ps5 uh which would probably be my an actual answer for my favorite tech that i used this year but uh it was it's like probably the first proper home theater-esque thing I have and I absolutely love it and it is very silly to watch like chunky potato quality YouTube videos <laughs> on it but it's great for nature documentaries yes as you know I have one too <laughs> I'm looking at it right now <laughs> uh, my favorite thing that I played with this year is uh, 3d printer so because this is the year that uh at tom's hardware we got into doing 3d printers and i personally got into doing 3d using 3d printers so uh one 3d printer i have right here next to me you can't see on camera so i'll move over a little bit is the it wasn't i didn't clean it up for the camera but is a flash forge adventure three light uh printer we were uh our um our writer reviewed our writer reviewed and really liked a lot uh, another one that's right directly behind me is the Elegoo Neptune 2. Uh, both of these are very affordable. The Adventure Light is about 270 
and the Neptune 2 is actually usually on sale for under 200. The it's been a lot of fun with uh, me and my son using these 3D printers to print models, to print little tools and such. Here's like a little wrench we printed. Uh, so uh, that's been the most interesting thing for me this year is getting into the whole world of 3D printing. Now on our best on our best list, we have a different model of printer, the uh, VoxLab Ares, uh, which is also a really great printer that uh, that we highly recommend for kids and adults. Uh, it's definitely a different step when you're things to think about when you have kids or pets in the house because you want to make sure that they're not sticking their fingers where the hot uh, melting plastic goes. So an enclosed an enclosed printer is a huge plus. Like this one is enclosed, right? You can't. I mean, my daughter can sort of pry this open if she really wants to, but at least it's not so easy to get in there. So um, the Voxelab Aries, which we really like a lot, also enclosed printer, uh, also has Wi-Fi, which is something a lot of 3D printers don't. Most 3D printers still require you to put something on either a micro SD card or a USB stick and copy and like sneaker net your 3D printing file over. Uh, the uh, VoxLab Ares and this Adventure 3 Lite both let you uh, send your prints over Wi-Fi, which is great. So uh, I highly recommend folks get into 3D printing. It is very, very easy now. It is very inexpensive now. So there's there's a lot you can do. You don't have to make your own models. You can go to a site like thingiverse.com where there are lots of pre-made models and you can make some neat stuff there. You can make tools, you can make things that, uh, you can make cases for things uh, and you can just make cute, cute stuff although most of my cute stuff is in another room but nevertheless i know yeah. that your your son is very into mario and you were showing us a luigi you made that you were very proud yes. of yes. what's we, that though this is another mario character can you figure out which one it is i think it's called beepo beepo or, yeah um that's we, i played odyssey and i still don't i don't know what that is it looks the guy looks like a hockey puck bunny. Okay. Uh, we printed this one because it was a good test print because it only took like half an hour. That's one of those things that 3D printing takes a really long time. So if you've got a big model, it could take you 10, 12, 14 hours. So if you just want to see how something comes out, you want to pick a really small model like this just to see what just to see how. The filament works so we've been experimenting with different filaments that you can use um, for folks who don't know that's there's two main kinds of 3d printers there's what are called fdm fusion deposit modeling printers uh, and those use the, the rolls of filament and then you have ones that are called sla printers that use resin but the resin printers uh, I would not recommend to someone who's a beginner or has any pets or children because there's a lot of noxious chemicals involved there. You've got to pour the, these chemicals. And then even after the printing is done, you've got to like uh, wash and cure your model. So uh, SLA printers can give you a little bit better quality on some of the models, but it's, uh, but the amount of hassle and danger is, uh, 
well, it's definitely not worth it for someone who might have a kid or, or a kid in the house. But uh, anyway, so it's it's been fun trying different types of filaments, the different materials. Uh, this one here is made out of PET G, which is a more flexible, not flexible, not totally flexible, but a little bit more flexible material than the typical uh, PLA material that most people use. So uh, it's been fun. I actually have a viewer question already. And I think you've already told like all the ways in which this isn't true for you. But is a 3D printer the type of thing that, you know, you buy, you use for a month, you're like, ooh, fun. And then you forget about it, like an Instapod or an air I mean, fryer. It, to be fair. It hey, could... I, use my, I use my air fryer all the time. <laughs> it, it, I used it to make lunch. It certainly could be. I haven't printed anything in a couple of weeks, but it there's a lot of fun things to do with it. But you have to, I mean, you have to figure out what it is that you want to do with it. Obviously, some folks are doing more than others, right? Uh, you, if you're just going to print out cheap toys all the time, then you might get bored. Like, hey, you know, no toy I made with this is nearly as cool as like something I could buy for a couple of dollars. But the instant, but the idea that, hey, you know, maybe I need, maybe there's a piece of my robot that, a robot part that broke, and maybe I can print it, reprint it to replace it. Maybe I need like a little tiny tool, and I can print it to print it right now. Uh, the immediacy of getting things with your 3D printer is pretty cool, and yeah, it's something that for sure you have to find use cases for it. And if you don't have use cases for it, it could end up sitting around taking up desk space. But uh, it depends if you're into hobby, if you're a hobbyist, you're into doing things with Raspberry Pi, maybe there are many cases you might want to print with it. So it's, it's really good to have around. Obviously it's, it's a different tech task than a lot of people are, are doing if they're just playing games on their PC. I mean, I like. I've always kind of thought, you know. I know you've you've uh, tempted to. <laughs> you've said you could send me a three D printer before, and like, as someone who's been around tech since they, you know, kind of first become prevalent, I've always been interested in them. But I've always kind of thought, like, I, if I had one, I would also want a good like three D scanner because the things that I would like to do is like. You know, I mean, you think of like, you know, the blinds behind me and like the metal brackets that often break and things like that, where like often like there's a piece of plastic that would be very, you know, that you need for something that breaks. And if you could just scan it and print another one, that would be really handy. Right. So I think I would want some kind of way to, um, you know, scan to scan a real world object so that I could print it. Yeah, no, a 3D printer. No, no question. This benefits people more if they know how to use 3D modeling software or they can scan something, because then you can take it beyond just reproducing stuff that you've seen somebody upload to Thingiverse. So, yeah, yes, I mean there's somewhat of a commitment to to learning how to do things if you really want to get the most out of it. You know, it's funny. I um I learned how to use Maya in grad school, um, which is a 3D modeling program. But that was for the purpose of like video games. And then I was working another job before this and I told them I could 3D model. And they were like, oh, great. You can do 3D printer stuff for us. And it's like, I don't know if the stuff I make can like work in reality. 
It's the it's weird to think of 3D modeling programs as things you can use to make real stuff now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, you can. I think the one big down downside uh, with anything that you model is 3D printing is still largely monochrome, right? So, you know, this, this is all green, this is all black, um, and the others, uh, and for the most part. Uh, you can only print in one color. Granted, I have somewhere behind me a filament roll that is rainbow colored, uh, but that doesn't mean you actually pick the color you want. It just sort of churns through and, and gives you a slight change of color every few feet of filament. So what? So the reason why that matters for your 3D modeling is if something is not visually apparent by having, let's say, like a groove, like you know, you got eyes on something, but the eyes aren't sticking out. There's something that you would normally paint on. Then you've got to, you know, v take a hard right turn into crafting, mm -hmm. and and get some paint, some some paint, some primer, uh, and and paint it. At which point you've moved beyond even 3D printing and into painting, into painting models. Which I would love to see 3D printers reach the point. You can see I have a case behind me with a bunch of Gundams um right. mobile suits but uh they what they do is they come in like runners with a bunch of different monochrome plastic pieces on them and there are different runners for each color and then you cut them out and put them together um and i was talking with my boyfriend who's built most of those only built a few of them and i'm like do you think 3d printers have gotten to the point where you could print out all the individual pieces you need and then put them together and I, we agreed they're probably not at that point yet. Like they're probably not structurally sound enough where you can build, mm -hmm. a ro build a robot that fits together and doesn't fall apart. But I would love to like be able to make custom parts for, uh, for you know, model kits mm -hmm. using a 3D printer. I think you could. I really, I do think you could actually. Uh, I, your biggest problem would be your your. Biggest, the two biggest problems, and not to hijack our show in terms of 3D printing, the Tom Tarver 3D printing show, uh, your two biggest problems would would be, uh, is it a single color or do you need to paint it? And then supports. So one of the things that, depending on what you print, it may need to have supports. So if it's got something that's overhanging more than, I think, about 60 degrees, it's recommended that you have the printer print like a little piece of plastic that's called a support that holds it up. So you've got a rip so that because it keeps it from drooping and falling over during the printing process. Then when you're done, you've got to take a, out a wire cutter and cut off all those supports. And they, in my experience, they always leave a lot of little a little residue behind that's very annoying. So that's. That's, you know, those those are the problems that you would run into, but there's probably a lot of parts that you could reasonably 3D print. You would still, you know, would they, are they better than molding than, than somebody in a factory creating them, doing it with a mold? Probably not because you would see, you would probably see layer lines and things like that that you wouldn't see in something that came from the factory. But you could get a pretty, you know, depending on how much effort you were willing to put into, say, painting it or 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 sanding it you could probably get a pretty decent i already sand them a little bit because when you nip something off a runner yep. it leaves a little residue but uh not to turn this into the modeling show <laughs> but i'm curious i might have to try this at some point because um 
I started using Raspberry Pis this year too, uh, on the recommendation of Abram. And I actually got to the point where I set up my Raspberry Pi and my boyfriend who lives with me was so jealous of mine that he went out on Black Friday to Micro Center and bought one of his own. <laughs> uh, so I, I've already been corrupted once. I might I, be corrupted twice over. I can see, I can almost literally see that story warming Avram's heart. It <laughs> is. It is. So. For an air quality carbon <laughs> monoxide detector for his Raspberry Pi for Christmas. Uh, he's in the other room, so I can't say whether or not I got it for him. But that oh. that is the level that we've reached. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I just wonder what people, there's a lot of air quality filters things out there for people and i always wonder what you're going to do with that information once you have it are you going to be like uh we got to move well my wife bought one for her classroom she's a high school teacher and like she just wanted to know like is the air quality you know good enough without having to keep the windows all open all the time and like it was surprisingly better than she thought so he just sent me a message oh he says carbon dioxide not monoxide okay <laughs> Either, either way, either way, what will you do if, what will you do if it's too much? I guess you could get, I guess you could get a air purifier or something for the room. But I guess he, open he's windows. not worried about radon this high up in a, an apartment building in New York. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, anyway, best tech of 2021. Uh, thanks to listening to our preamble, but we do actually have a list here as well that we've put together. Um, where we've chosen our sort of best picks across different categories. And I thought it would be fun to sort of go down this list. We're not going to like read the article to you. That would maybe be a little bit weird, but we could talk about our honorable mentions or why we chose the things we did or uh, take questions about them. So I thought I'd go ahead and start off with like best CPU. Uh, this year we said that the best CPU was Intel Alder Lake, which I think is the first time that we've awarded um, that we sort of awarded something to Intel as opposed to Ryzen. For a while, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, after about the second generation of Ryzen, you know, uh, AMD, and again, someone who's been covering this for so long, uh, you know, a AMD was like a distant, distant second place for a long time. And then, uh, you know, Ryzen kind of surprised everyone and, you know, had a lot of potential. And then about second gen started getting a lot closer to parity with Intel and then third, you know, and fourth slash fifth. I mean, you know, that basically had surpassed Intel and, and, uh, you know, in, in, in most ways, I mean, there are a lot of different ways and different things people do with their CPUs. Right. But particularly for gaming, uh, and the fifth gen, like of Ryzen, you know, Intel was second fiddle, definitely. And, uh, you know, um, with with Alder Lake, they, I mean, it's interesting, you know, they they have this uh, two new architectures combined um, in a sort of almost uh, arm-like big and little, uh, you know, core set where you have performance cores and efficiency cores. And you wouldn't think, uh, you know, just sort of off the cuff that that would make a huge difference. But I mean, that I think combined with the fact that they have two new architectures so just like they have uh, retaken the gaming crown and um, you know, depending on how you config, you know, they're pretty competitive on price as long as you're not factoring in the current insanely high price of DDR5 in that. But 
there are a bunch of boards that support DDR4 as well. And uh, at least for now, um, most of the benchmarks show that there's not a major difference between DDR4 and DDR5. So unless you feel like you need to have the newest, bestest thing, you know, you can go with DDR4 and get, a, you know, a very good system, very good gaming rig, uh, you know, for a price that is, you know, um, depending on how you do it, possibly better than a comparable Ryzen setup. So I feel like that best, like that efficiency core performance core thing is a thing that uh, Ryzen is going to have to copy going into the future if they want to take back the crown. Uh, but we do have a, a comment here, which brings up a very good point. Um, I think our response to this is probably that just like Intel, like you said, takes the gaming crown. But Javier Perea uh, says, I don't get how Alder Lake took the best CPU over Apple M1. It really looks like ARM processors are the future. Um, to be honest, I was kind of impressed by the M1. I'm impressed by all these ARM processors that we've been seeing that are in-house coming out. And I feel like the M1 was sort of like the, the herald of that. And I'm curious to see where that goes into the future. For sure. I mean, uh, as you'll see if we get far enough down this list there is a you know an m1 max uh cpu um as part of a product on this list uh yeah i mean there's definitely tons of potential and and uh you know whether you're an apple fan or not there's no denying that what apple has done with with arm is extremely impressive so you know um intel both intel and amd have their work cut out for them i mean i think uh you know they they are you know x86 has challenged um in a way that it hasn't been for longer than i've been paying attention to uh to tech so yeah it'll be interesting but it's like for now it's just on apple products right so yeah and yeah. what intel did here is pretty unique in that it brought this hybrid architecture to the x86 desktop uh, the M1 is proprietary to Apple products, but yes, it is a very impressive CPU. And we know that ARM CPUs continue to get more and more competitive when it comes to high performance. What So what Intel is doing here is instead of using the big little philosophy of having low power cores and high power cores to save power, to save battery life on a laptop, Intel is using it to really boost performance where you need it on the desktop. And that's something we have not seen the x86 world before. So that's, that's why I think what Intel did is, is groundbreaking for that ecosystem. It, it does not seem like, uh, first of all, Apple is kind of in its own, its own ecosystem. And so, yes, it's very impressive, but that is not going to change the game for PC. Apple's M1 is not going to change the game for PC gaming anytime soon. So what we're seeing, though, is that Alder Lake is changing the game for PC gaming and for a lot of workstation-like projects. Well, now, I will say that game. one oh. issue with Alder Lake... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. I will say one issue with Alder Lake is uh, it currently runs best on Windows 11 because the thread scheduling... Uh, isn't up to speed so much on Windows 10, which I think is kind of pretty, pretty a pretty big issue for me because I really don't want to upgrade to Windows 11 at that point. That's another big thing that Windows came out 11 this year. Did not make the list. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, So, you know, maybe it'll get better at some point, but that is one thing hamstringing you if you go for older leagues. Windows 11 did not make the list. If we did not have any debate about putting Windows 11 on the list, (laughs) because nobody... Nobody really likes Windows 11 that much. I was actually going to move forward and talk about that M1 Max thing that Matt hinted at earlier. But actually, while we're talking about tech of 2021, let's talk about Windows 11. Because that's a (laughs) a big thing that came out this year. And I feel like, Avram, you're the one who's of us that covered that the most, right? Yeah. uh, I mean, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to Windows. (laughs) It's better than Vista. (laughs) I don't know. At least with Vista, they were really trying to do something. Yeah, I agree with Raphael in the chat room that it should be optional. Technically speaking, it is optional. And for now, for now, there's definitely you can imagine that as companies, software vendors, hardware vendors have to keep supporting new products going forward, that there may be advantages to being on the latest version of the OS. They're usually usually it are advantages to being the latest version of the OS. I I don't like Windows 11 particularly because I it's change for change's sake and in my opinion not a good change when it comes to the UI. They've taken away some functionality. It's harder to do certain kinds of customizations that you used to be able to do like for example moving the taskbar to the top or the left or the right. Uh, the information density is less. There's a lot of a lot of empty space on, for example, the start menu. And then it's constantly making you go to open additional menus that you don't, you know, rather than keeping you in the same place. Now, what's interesting to me is how it's a pendulum with Windows that um, Jennifer says her T470S said it can't upgrade to Windows 11. Uh, your T470S is just looking out for your best interest, Jennifer. <laughs> um, the although it it probably should be able to. Well, I guess it depends on the on the CPU. But we have an article about how to get around the restrictions if you really want to. But I don't recommend it because there's there's basically a, a pendulum of UI that seems to happen with Windows, and it may be happening with other operating systems too, where there swings somebody somebody there's some influence at microsoft that's like we don't we want to make it simpler for people we don't want to confuse people so let's make everything big like it's fisher price and put less information on the screen and treat our reader our users like toddlers then lo and behold people get annoyed the users get annoyed and then they swing back to having a reasonable amount of information and customization in the OS and people say, wow, thank you so much. This is exactly what happened with Windows uh, with Windows 7, 8, and 9, right? Windows, uh, well, Vista, I guess it happened, it's, it's like the original Star Trek movies where every other one was good, right? <laughs> so Vista people didn't like. Now, to be fair, Vista was, this the UI of Vista was perfectly fine. It's that it, it's that it, it got, you know, it was slow because it couldn't it couldn't handle a lot of hardware couldn't handle the arrow effects. So then Windows Seven came in and Windows Seven could handle it, and Windows Seven was uh, booted quickly and and better performance. All was good. People loved Windows Seven. Windows Eight comes. Mm-hmm. Windows Eight was like was like 
if you had a toddler do the UI because, or if you thought that only toddlers would use the UI, because instead of having a start menu, they had the start screen with the tiles on it. And the idea was, oh, it's the same as your start menu, but we're going to cover over your screen. And we don't really want you to have windows that you drag around. We just want you to have like one thing open and maybe draw. Well, because that was also in. that was also peak Windows tablets, right? Right. Like, everybody was trying to sell tablets, especially like there were like a bunch of like eight inch Windows tablets right. that they thought like it's who wants that? No so one. What we what we found is even people who have Windows tablets want like the Windows interface, right? Yeah. So people hated Windows eight. I hated Windows eight. I'll be honest with you. And so then Windows 10 came. In fact, it should have been Windows 9, but they were so embarrassed by Windows 8, they had to make it seem like it was two versions better, right? So so they bring back Windows 10, which basically has a, a lot of the same features as Windows 7, a regular start menu, you know, regular window, you know, regular windowed operating system, whatever, some, some bit of the tiles uh, in the start menu, okay. Then all was good. And now we're going to Windows 11, which they know better than to do a Windows 8 where they just make it all one big screen, but they're doing as much as possible to make you have to, to sort of shift screens based on what you're doing. So like the thing that I really hate is the search bo bar, the search box. There's no search box in Windows 11. If you want to search, you gotta you got to click on the click on or, or hit uh, Window S or whatever. And then it opens up another menu for you to search. I mean, it's not a horrible situation, but anytime you're transported from like one menu to another menu, I just find that jarring and annoying. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I mostly agree with you, but at like the system I'm staring at right now is a Windows 11 system and the system in the other room that, you know, I do most of my meetings on is Windows 10 and like for like 95% of the things. <laughs> Seems like Abram's getting a phone call. <laughs> it's the uh, Windows Windows uh, Mafia is calling. Yeah. Yeah. What do Microsoft, you say about us? <laughs> Microsoft called to, to complain. I, for like 95, 97% of the things that I do, like I, I, I like literally don't even think about it. Like, I mean, I can see that the menu is different, but I still, you know, I, like since windows 10 i've trained myself to just hit the windows key and then start typing and i can still do that with windows 11 and like that's kind of how i navigate most things so you i know, think I the, mean, the big thing that avram told me that he didn't like we had a show the two of us where we just went through all of windows 11's big changes uh is that the right click context menu doesn't show you the full menu until you do another click I've and that's just like emblematic that. yeah. of having to do more for less, right? Right. It's like, oh, we don't, we don't trust you. We don't want to overwhelm you by showing you all of your options. So we're going to make you click to click again. Like, that's hey, so annoying. They're selling more mice by wearing out the clicks. <laughs> Maybe they're selling more replacement <laughs> fingers. It's funny. I mean, we have a few comments in the uh, the chat right now saying like. I can see people, Raphael Hassel says, I can see people jumping ship to Linux after Windows 10. Cooler Baruhinto says, Linux live, love is Linux. Uh, but then <laughs> Javier Perea, who's a, a frequent viewer, says, we use Windows 10 like XP. Any new feature is too complex. I feel like a lot of people just like at this point know how they want to use Windows. 
and constantly upgrading it is just like getting in the way. And unfortunately, swapping to Linux isn't like a perfect recreation of that for a lot of people, especially if you want a game. But I mean, you know. I the one thing I would say is I've used Linux a lot more over the last few years than than I ever did before. And I've gotten so much respect for the Linux desktop. And I've been the- using Linux a lot because of my, my swap to Raspberry Pi. And I like how quickly and easily I can just access things I want to. But I can't imagine testing all the various peripherals I can test on it, especially with their proprietary software. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. For us, we can't use it for everything. But the one thing I will really give to Linux is Linux lets you separate the kernel from the shell really easily. So if you don't like the way your windowed UI looks in Linux, you have a lot of choices you can very easily change it. So if you don't like the way the Raspberry Pi OS looks, you don't like the thing in the corner or whatever, there, I mean, there are many ways to change it to look different. And Microsoft should take the same approach. But Microsoft does everything it can to lock you into its vision of the UI rather than give you the choice. I think just like building for PCs is hard already because there's so many different hardware options. And you have to make sure your stuff works across all of those, which is part of why it's easier for Apple because they control which hardware their software is attached to. I would love to see something like Windows Anniversary Edition where they have like all the different UIs and then you just like select with them or or select how you want things to look. But I can imagine just like, you know, accounting for people using a different OS on different hardware would probably be too complex. Matt, it seems like you have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I like the people talking about, you know, switching to Linux and loving like, you know, and Linux is fine. I don't have a ton of experience with Linux, but like I've been around long enough to hear kind of every time there's a new version of Windows, everyone's like, now everyone's going to go to Linux. Sure, some people are, but no. <laughs> like it's just yes. Some people will, and that's fine and good for them. But, you know, there's not there's not going to be this mass movement where, like, a major chunk of, you know, the Windows using public is going to suddenly decide to Your go to Linux. Your parents probably aren't <laughs> going to move to Linux. Yeah, no. And to, to be honest, neither am I, because yeah. I can figure it out, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life figuring stuff out, right? Like, I, you know, I mean... Like I know in a, in a very broad sense, I know how windows works and I want to spend my life actually getting things done, not figuring out how, I mean, it's like to a certain extent, it's unfortunate how we're kind of in its graphs that way though, where when it makes, when it makes these changes that we don't like, we don't have a good alternative. Yeah. I also think that there's a certain amount of, um, I mean, one of the comments kind of alluded to it too, you know, we're, we're used to using windows the same way we learned to use it with XP and like, that's probably different. Uh, like different versions depending on when you started right but i think there's a certain level of uh you know i'm reminded of you know when i was a kid you know like hearing my grandmother complain that they like moved like they moved the uh grocery like the cereal aisle in the grocery store and like she's annoyed because like she has to figure out you know they like change the rearrange things and you have to figure things out like i mean that's part of 
you know, making a new OS, right? And and you're always going to annoy some people. And But I still think, as I just said, you know, like the vast majority of the things that I need to do in Windows is basically the same in Windows 11 as it is in Windows 10. So, I mean, you know, I mean, while I might be annoyed once in a while, it's like I'm not... I'm happy to spend a little bit of time figuring out the changes. Whereas if you I you make shift... a site like for hardware nerds <laughs> and, and they're going this to, is true. they hardware <laughs> nerds always love more options. Right. But some people like having things curated for them and it's hard to find the proper balance between those, because even if you, you know, put the extra options in there, but hide them, um, the, the curated people will still be like, well, used that they're even there sometimes. I mean, that's that's part of the issue with any operating system that's designed for a mainstream audience, right? Is that there's a vast swath of expertise and expectations and just what people do with an operating system. And you're trying to make one thing that works for everyone. It's always right. going to, there are always going to be issues for some people. But then the problem is if you, um, if you make your operating system so niche instead of making it mainstream, then there's less of a chance that programs will work on it. And that's part of why I, I like to use Windows because I like to game and it's the most stable OS to game on. I mean, you can game on Linux if you know what you're doing, um, but a certain series by a YouTube channel I won't mention uh, has revealed to me recently that even that comes with its issues, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I, I'm thankful this holiday season as every day that there are plenty of bugs and confusing things <laughs> in windows so that we can write tutorials and people have a need to come visit our website. Uh, if everything worked as if everything was easy and everything worked as advertised, then nobody would ever need, to, <laughs> no one would ever need to read our articles. Uh, but uh, so I guess I can thank Microsoft for, uh, giving me the opportunity to write a whole bunch of tutorials on how to hack your registry to solve some of these problems. I invite folks to go check them out on our website. And then of breaking those tutorials. <laughs> yes, and then breaking those tutorials to keep me busy. That's a good point. Even if Microsoft doesn't put in the options for you, another nice thing about writing a website for hardcore PC nerds is that they will find a way to put it in for themselves. So on, on that kind of downer note, let's go back to talking about good things. Uh, so Matt mentioned earlier when we were talking uh, that we do have an M1 product on our best of 2021 list, and that is the MacBook Pro 16-inch, uh, which you can get with an M1 Max, which you know takes it up to 10-core CPU and 32-core GPU, but a big reason we liked this laptop, um, and you can see the, the little sidebar there that you can't do easily on Windows 11, but uh, a big reason we liked this laptop isn't necessarily because of the chip, but it's also like it's finally getting rid of the touch bar. It's making it a little bit thicker for better cooling and better port support. It's just kind of acknowledging that you know macbooks don't necessarily always need to be the sleekest thing on the market they also need to be you know decently powerful even if that comes at the cost of like lugging them around uh a, a little bit heavier you know if people are working from home that's not as much of a problem it's the pendulum swinging back for apple yep. like like with microsoft 
they're swinging to the Fisher Price side and trying to make it slim streamlined because they think it looks cool. Apple did that with the touch bar and getting rid of the getting rid of some important ports. And what Apple has seen is that people were annoyed. So they've so they've swung the pendulum back to actually give you more functionality. By it's giving so you the weird to back. see 2021 kind of show Apple supporting. I mean, it's definitely still the sleek, you know, company that it wants that sleek image that it wants to have. But it's weird to see them, you know, pumping out headlining sort of power user features and these big powerful chips. Well, Windows 11 comes out and says like, ooh, centered touch bar and, you know, rounded corners. Rounded corners. If anybody's upgrading for the rounded corners, I feel really <laughs> sorry for them. I mean, <laughs> that's that's the reason to upgrade is the very subtly rounded corners on the windows. Yeah. But yeah, uh, we have a, a viewer comment here. It looks like a 2008 MacBook. You know, I could see that as a as a negative comment, but like you said, it's the pendulum swinging back. I think, and uh, I I I quite appreciate the uh, inclusion of more ports on this, especially. Look, you got a headphone jack there. Isn't that so nice? <laughs> yes. Imagine innovating. Imagine in your idea of innovating is to bring back the things that you that you took away. So. <laughs> I think the next thing that Apple will innovate on and will think that they invented is color. I think <laughs> I think we will see, I've been predicting this for like 10 years, so I'm sure I'll be predicting another 10, but the silver, I mean, the silver design of the MacBook is so old. Well, they did that with the iMacs this, was that this year? Like they had colorful ones. They So they've started in that direction, but yeah, you know, they've been Bring back the iBook. Actually, it's the white plastic that used to be in everything Apple that hasn't made a hasn't hasn't made a comeback yet. So we'll see. <laughs> Maybe that's bring, next. Bring back the iBook. I always wanted. I, I'm not a big Apple person, but I always wanted an i a Bondi blue iBook or blueberry iBook. Bring back. I grew the up with the uh, the iMac in my school computer labs, um, and I wanted one growing up. And then I grew up and realized they weren't very good computers, but I love the way they look. But uh, anyway, back to PCs and kind of clipping uh, us along a little bit because we're reaching time and we've only talked about like three things. Um, this so, is why Avram and I aren't often on the show together. <laughs> about, if we're talking about the tech of 2021, though, we should definitely talk about the graphics cards this year. So we put the RTX 3060 uh, as our best graphics card. Personally, I think that's kind of a controversial choice because I think the big story with the graphics cards this year is that you cannot buy them for the most part. I think the RTX 3060 is probably the one that I've seen like actually available at a decent price the most, which is why I would back this being like the new graphics card that I, I would say is the best of the year. But um, another big thing if we're talking about tech this year is that tech releases are super staggered now, right? So like something comes out and you're like, okay, I'll get that in six months to a year. I'm just yeah. now thinking like maybe I should get a 30 series card and the 40 series cards are going to come around, you know, in a few months, right? Yeah, it's 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 really tough right now. Although I have to think that, I have to say that supply issues are not nearly as bad in any other sector as they are in graphics cards. 
it there it was the case i think earlier in the year where it was really hard to get a ryzen 5000 series cpu but now you can get one uh so I, in fact I they're think, on sale right right so like is it, is it just me matt or is it the case that most components outside of the graphics card you can now get at close to msrp yeah, pretty much. No, it's graphics cards because graphics cards have two problems, right? You know, they have the, you know, they can't make as many as they would like and as many as they can make, you know, people are buying to mine with. I mean, that like was a problem with the the 10 series cards like five years ago, um, you know, and they were scarce for a while. It wasn't anywhere as bad as it is now. But I mean, when you combine a baked in problem with crypto mining with, a global pandemic and supply issues that you get graphics cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the main problem. And then you, of course, you also see it reflected in shortages of, of gaming consoles, <clears throat> but yep. if you don't want to play any games, you can get your components now. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, um, as sort of streaming services services have tried streaming gaming services have tried to proliferate you'd think if they were ever going to be successful now is the time and like you know maybe uh you know xbox is as has been a bit more successful right but like we've seen uh google with stadia and amazon both try to launch streaming gaming services that haven't done very well so uh, i mean you know, I like I just see that as like if they're not if they're not successful now, we have another at least another five years to wait before, you know, at least streaming PC gaming services get majorly successful because it's like a perfect storm for them and they're still kind of struggling. So I mean like I feel like the type of person who knows what an RTX thirty eighty is is also the type of person who will want to build their own PC, which is kind of you know, opposed to the idea of just having a tiny little streaming box and having most of the hardware live on the cloud, right? So like GeForce sure. Now released its RTX 3080 tier this year, which we tested. And for a lot of people, it's probably the, the best way to game with RTX 3080 right now, you know, without paying a ton. You'll, you'll have to do it on a month-to-month -month basis, but at least you can try it and see how you like it before you pay a bunch of money, especially if you're going to go aftermarket, um, which I won't judge you for. But, um, you know, but is, is something that a lot of people will have to do at this point. Um, and, you know, we had Jared on talking about that a few shows ago, but until you brought up streaming services right now, to be honest, I kind of forgot that that even happened. <laughs> I had a, a bad introduction to cloud gaming, though, because I tried using OnLive back mm -hmm. in the day. Um, and that failed after a few months because it just wasn't up to par. Somebody needs to bring it all together. I think that's the real problem that's going on with cloud gaming right now. Like GeForce Now it has really good performance, right? Like you can get really good performance, but you also have to make sure that the game you want to play is supported by it. And then you also have to buy that game. So... And then you also have to live somewhere where there's really good internet, which I think is a big problem in large portions of this country still. So I think you, I think somebody needs to put it all together where you've got a plan where you can, I mean, there are some free games on these services. There are some free games on GeForce Now and some free games on Stadia, but there ought to be like a true Netflix of gaming where 
Like you can really get games that people really want to play and you can stream them all for one monthly fee and and make it make it easy for people. I mean, I think that's what Xbox Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is trying to be, right? Because Xbox Game Pass, I have issues with it. It, you know, still isn't directly equivalent to just going to the rental store and buying a new game that came out that week um, and, and playing it over the weekend and taking it back is. But it's probably the closest thing you can get to an Xbox or or to a Netflix for gaming right now. And now they added the tier where you can get Xbox cloud gaming on top of that. But that's, you know, another thing where uh, I mean, it's it's it seems like there's a lot of potential, but, you you know, unless you're someone who's really paying attention to it, like you needed to explain the tiers and the levels. Right. And it's still like you almost have to have about like it's like it requires the same amount of like paying attention to things and figuring things out as like buying a graphics card right like it's not it's not like oh i have a netflix subscription and that here's all the things i can watch it's like oh i need to know this exists and then i need like i need to have i feel like that that's the thing unless it opens up like a new avenue of gaming to you like oh i can run this game on my phone and that's something i wasn't able to do before if it's just a way to play a game that you can already run like on your PC or Xbox, but with slightly higher fidelity, I don't think it's going to work because the type of people, like I said, who know how to get access to this are already kind of against the idea of cloud gaming because they they like owning their software. They like owning their hardware. They like customizing it. They like also owning their software. And a lot of these services especially Stadia are like, okay, you can only buy the game to work with our service. Well, plus those people who have been paying attention to this for the last decade, as you just pointed out, have seen over and over again, this fail, right? So they're like, they've been conditioned to be skeptical about streaming. So like, even if you're open to the idea, like you've probably tried it two or three times with various services and had a horrible experience or maybe an experience that wasn't great, but then the service went away, right? So... I mean, I think that it, there's just kind of like this baked in skepticism for, you know, the sort of enthusiasts or the older gamers that have been through this before, right? That they know at least if they can get a graphics card, like it's going to work. They're going to be <laughs> with their game. I, I agree. I think like, you know, this year, great year for graphics cards, theoretically, like <laughs> these are some really good components it's a good year for the company selling graphics cards. On them. <laughs> yes. Um, so which then leads you to streaming services, which I think are still kind of a, a wild west. Uh, but as we reach on time, we are reaching the point in our sort of best of 2021 list where we go through like really granular stuff like, oh, best monitor, best keyboard, best mouse. But we talked about Raspberry Pis earlier, and I want to take advantage of having Abram with us. We put on our best of 2021 list. Best Raspberry Pi product, Raspberry Pi Pico. Uh, ooh, you've got it for us right now. So what can you tell us about the Pico, Abram? I can tell you that I have a lot of them lying around my desk in office. Uh, so I wasn't even, I didn't even do it to prepare for the show. I just had it like right here. I always have a Pico, always have some amount of boards lying on my desk. Anyway, so the Pico, this is a truly uh, groundbreaking product. And it's not groundbreaking because of the board itself, but this this SOC on it, the 
Raspberry Pi RP2040. This is the first piece of silicon designed by the Raspberry Pi Foundation, but it's different than every other Raspberry Pi that you've ever seen because uh, typically Raspberry Pi, see if I have, I have one on my desk, although it's got stuff on it, but typically a Raspberry Pi looks like this without the wires hanging out of it, right? And you've got, and you're, and you run Linux on it. It's a computer. You could use it as your own, as your only computer, if you really wanted to. A little slow compared to even a cheap PC, but you could use it as a computer. This, the RP2040, is designed to be a microcontroller. It competes with the likes of Arduino. So what that means is it doesn't run an operating system on it. It's meant to, it's meant to, to control various electronics. So it's got a dual core 133 megahertz processor in it. It's got, I think, 256 kilobytes of RAM. So it's not, it's not meant to run a whole operating system. What it's meant to do is quickly, easily uh, do things like turn into a game controller, turn, turn into a keyboard, turn, uh, turn, you know, power lights and motors in a robot, no boot up time. You program it in your choice of C or MicroPython or CircuitPython mostly, or Arduino language. Uh, and you can use it to power things like this. Like, so here's, so here's an Adafruit, uh, macro key keyboard, right? Called the macro pad. And, and inside of it is an is the same RP2040 processor that's in the Pico. So this is quite a, a big deal because Raspberry Pi has now waded into and started to make huge headway into the, into the microcontroller market. And its product is better than traditional Arduino. It's more powerful. It gives you more options. So, you know, now... It's it's a Raspberry Pi, but it's not like any other Raspberry Pi that you that has existed before. I really like that because you know I keep seeing all these Raspberry Pi products or projects, and it's like yeah, attach a full Raspberry Pi computer just to like you know do this one very specific thing. I'm like that feels like a little bit of a waste to me. Raspberry Pis you know can go up to a hundred dollars. Uh, and they, they're like tiny little cell phone guts. You can do a lot with them and you're just going to, you know, you know, dedicate it to controlling your RC car or whatever. Uh, right. You know, you could you could have an RC car that also plays Nintendo games. But this, uh, you know, you can, I think, more freely use yeah. for projects. And there's a lot you can do with it. Like so and, and it also has some features that the regular Pi doesn't. For example, it has uh, depending on which board you have, because there's many there's the Pico, which is the first party board, but then here I have an Adafruit Feather, which also uses RP2040. You either have three or four analog to digital uh, pins. So what that means is something like uh, an analog joystick, right? You uh, requires two pins for the X, uh, one for the X axis and one for the Y axis, right? So you could create a controller that has, you could create a controller that has two thumbsticks with one of these and the analog to digital conversion is handled directly by the RP2040 chip. Whereas on a regular Raspberry Pi, there's no analog to digital conversion. So you need to get some type of additional chip or hat to do that. So it's, it's definitely a big step forward. And of course, people have taken this and run with it. So now there are 
like little game systems that are based on it. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff that you can do that you can do with these, even a little bit of machine learning. So you can actually get these to do a little bit of image or, um, or sound recognition, which is just wild from something that is this, that is this uh, small and low powered. Awesome. What, what is the, the cost for a, a Pico or is it a Pico or a Pico? I think it's Pico, but okay. I, uh, Pico sounds better to me, even though like it's a raspberry Pi, but. So I don't know, maybe it's, I could have been getting it wrong this whole time. $4. $4. That's well, so much less than it. Granted for a lot of projects, you know, you probably don't need a raspberry Pi four like I have or a raspberry Pi 400. Yeah. Uh, like my boyfriend went out and bought, but I mean, you to be fair to the to the marketplace, you can get a Raspberry Pi Zero for five dollars, uh, but that doesn't. But you know, it, it may not be as good an idea for the, for your project. You can get a right. Raspberry Pi Zero W with Wi-Fi in it for ten dollars, so it's not. You don't have to spend thirty five, forty five, fifty five dollars to get. Uh, $75 to get a But it's like Pi. an older, slightly larger board that's not like purpose made yeah. to be a microcontroller. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, right. I mean, different different tools for different uses. I'm I'm still hung up on Michelle's idea of having a radio controlled car that like has NES emulation because I want to like play RC Pro Am on a little radio controlled car that's also <laughs> driving around. You you well, could... I think you that's Mario <laughs> you Kart it. World Tour or whatever. <laughs> I suppose. Is, right? Yeah. Not, I don't know. It's not the same. <laughs> so make those are, sounds. We are just about on time, but before I I leave us uh, for the final show of the year into 2022, because I will be out of town for the next couple of weeks. Um, Avram, Matt, as we move into the next year, what do you want to see? You know, coming out of tech, whether it be GPUs or new Raspberry Pi thing or a new peripheral thing. Or uh, AMD learning from Intel with its CPU architecture, <laughs> which feels ugly to say, and people will probably hate on me for saying it. But I mean, I I don't know. One of the things that I feel like I'm starting to see, and this will be, uh, you know, will not make Avram happy, but I think I think this past year has been peak RGB. We have seen uh, a couple, a few really good cases. Um, that don't have any RGB and actually some of the Z690 motherboards that I've been editing from our uh, reviewer, Joe, um, you know, have like some fairly high end motherboards that have few, very few RGB lights on them. I think, uh, you know, we're, I think the industry as a whole, or at least the, uh, you know, the PC building industry is, is starting to move away. We've also seen some really good coolers that don't have RGB, including one that's on, you know, our best list. So I think 2022 may see fewer RGBs. I'd, I'd like to see, I mean, I think we'd all, this this is not even go, goes without saying that we'd all like to see graphics cards become wild, become widely available at MSRP prices that would help everything and everyone. So that's, that's not a, that's not really an innovation. That's just, I don't know, less interest in mining, better production stuff. On the side of new products, I would like to see more OLED in outer space. We are not, there's not been a lot of OLED 
desktop monitors and certainly not ones that are affordable. I'd like considering that we now are seeing so much OLED, it, so much OLED in the laptop space. We keep seeing more and more laptops come, you know, laptops that aren't unaffordable come with OLED, OLED panels on the laptop. I would really like to see some relatively affordable 27 inch or 32 inch OLED monitors. I think I think that's going to happen. I mean, maybe not the first half of this year, but I've heard a lot of things about TVs. I think uh, Samsung has been buying panels, start, is starting to buy panels from uh, LG, I've heard. So I think Samsung is placing a little bit less uh, emphasis on LCD. And uh, I we're think also LG seeing like quantum yeah. dot OLED displays yeah. coming out, um, which are different from QLED. Um, so, and that suddenly like makes OLED no longer top dog anymore. So hopefully we'll, that'll mean wider integration. I was actually going to say OLED stuff. Uh, so Avram kind of stole mine a little bit, oh, but that's no big deal. I also want to see graphics cards and components in general becoming more widely available because I really want to upgrade my, my own build. Um, and it feels weird to buy a 20 series at this point. But uh, in the meantime, I'm really excited for the mini, like, handheld PC space, stuff like the Steam Deck coming out. Um, you know, before the Steam Deck came out, we saw, you know, cheap um, handhelds running Android or whatever from companies you've never heard of. We saw, like, a couple of bigger names like GPD Win and now I Neo. Um, Valve is like the first big company that like people who maybe aren't enthusiasts about mini PCs uh, might see doing this. And I would love to see other competitors following suit so that we can uh, get this um, this train moving along farther and get some competition in there to sort of force people to innovate a little bit. I'm still a bit skeptical about battery life for that, but yes. I like the idea of it being sort of an in-home streaming like device sure. where you can dock it, pick it up, seamlessly play it, as opposed to like something you take on the plane um, yeah. or as like an emulator device, but I shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I said emulator weird. I have a little bit of a cold. If you couldn't tell, I've had a cold this whole show. Uh, Averm, it seems like you have something to say. Oh, I was just going to point to our audience and say, and it runs Linux. <laughs> <laughs> and it does run Linux. That's true. Yep. Until someone gets Windows running on it. Although so. you, well, they said you can, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, GPD Win, if you can't tell from the name, is built around running Windows and has been kind of like the leader in that space uh, before the Steam Deck and maybe the leader after the Steam Deck, depending on how it goes. You know, Valve doesn't have a great track record with nope. hardware. I will say that. I will say that as someone who wrote stuff in like a popular science magazine for some of their other things that were supposed <laughs> to be a big deal and then just didn't really happen. I have a, a dead bricked Steam Link um, in my bottom drawer over here that I'm still sad about because it served me really well when I was convalescing over something a couple years ago. And then it broke, and that might be why I got into Raspberry Pis this year, Avram, because I needed to replace that. But it just cost $5 on sale, and now they don't make them anymore, and they won't even RMA it for me. 
So you are taking a risk with Valve, which is, again, why I want to see people like Asus or maybe even Razer getting into this space um, and giving people more options. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, if this sells well, there'll definitely be other companies trying to jump on, so... <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much for joining me, guys. Thank you for joining us, audience. Uh, you've been great. Uh, thank you for your questions. Uh, to see the full Best of 2021 article, because we've, we've only been able to cover a few topics here, uh, it is in the description here. It is over on tomshardware.com. And uh, to not belabor the point, we will see you in the new year, uh, starting on the first Thursday of the year at 3 p.m., as always. Uh, until then, have a great holidays and we will see you in 2022. Bye everyone. Bye.